1987, bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. From Pacifica, this is Democracy Now! Democracy Now! is a daily, independent, award-winning news program heard on the station Monday through Friday. Headlines can be heard at 8 a.m. on Morning Main and in its entirety at 5 p.m. Democracy Now!'s War and Peace Report provides our audience with access to people and perspectives rarely heard in the U.S. corporate-sponsored media, including independent and international journalists and ordinary people from around the world who are directly affected by U.S. foreign policy. For alternative news analysis, tune into Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman weekdays at 8 a.m. for the headlines and 5 p.m. for the complete hour, only on Community Radio WERU-FM. This hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. The time is 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Boat Talk with hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. Good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 102.9, up to Bangor. Boat Talk's a call-in radio show here at Community Radio that's... Uh, Engineered for people who may be contemplating things naval. Anything that floats your boat will work for us. It is a call-in show, too. I'll tell you the number right off the bat in case you're interested. It's 1-800-643-6273. And uh, today we hopefully will be having an interview with a, um, a long-time fisherman who is uh, hopefully making his way right here to the station now. But we're going to start off with a whole bunch of little news items from the newspaper. What's happening, Mike? Alan, you didn't make a pun yet, did oh, you? Oh, no, no, I didn't. I meant to mention that you... I mean, please. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Certain Mike, forms, Mike, Alan, you know Mike what I'm saying? Our old sailors who, uh, who like it best in soggy weather when the water is almost up to our boot tops. Boot tops. <laughs> yeah, you get it, right? <laughs> the boot top, uh, hey, one thing on boat talk we like to do is, is uh, you know, it's such a beautiful language, the language of boats and the sea and stuff, but... Uh, you know, not everybody speaks it or understands it. Of course, we love uh, people to say that, I don't know nothing about boats, but I like that boat talk. So what's a boot top? A oh. boot top is the stripe. Right. The, um, the waterline stripe that uh, usually is on more, any, much of the, uh, many of the more fancy boats anyway. Little uh, two, three, or four inch color stripe in contrast to the hull color. Right at the waterline. Right at the waterline. And part of what it does is provides a nice contrast and also it uh, absorbs the sloppy, uh, gucky part that gets splashed all the time sometimes. So that's what, that's what a boot stripe is, just for uh, whatever reason. Now, on Boat Talk this morning, uh, boy, I, I am hoping we've got something really special in store here. But there's a minor complication. Um, we would like to talk to uh, Captain Sam Cottle this morning, and hopefully his wife, Gloria. Sam wrote a wonderful book called In Danger at Sea. He grew up in uh, Port, Point Judith, Rhode Island, in a fishing family, and, uh, you know, was at it his whole life, basically. He's now retired over in Albion. And, uh, boy, we very much hope Sam and Gloria are on the way here this morning, and, and uh, hope it didn't foster any confusion whatsoever. And, um, we hope they walk in about any time, and we'll get them set down, and we'll do that. But if they don't, 
Uh, we'll be swinging on the morn here a little bit, but yeah, uh, it is a call-in show, and we have a call already. So we're not we're, ne- we're never worried <laughs> about such stuff around boat talk. What's what's one of the founding uh, philosophies of boat talk, Alan? About the audience. Yep, you uh, got something to say. We're welcome. Glad to hear it. Trust the audience is what we say. So yep. anyway, we do. And the phone's already ringing. You say. Yeah, yep. we got a uh, listener ready to talk to boat talk. Good morning, and welcome to boat talk. Hi, guys. Thanks. It's Gray from Hancock. Good morning, Hi, Gray. Gray. How are you? Regard- regarding the boot top issue, uh, <laughs> uh, with with which the word caller might considered, uh, be considered a, a collateral pun, um, would you guys explain for those of us who are more landlubberly the relationship and the difference between a boot top and a plimsoll line? A plimsoll line. Well, a boot top is is usually on a yacht, and a plimsoll line is usually on a a uh, working boat. And a plimsoll line, what it does is uh, shows you how deep the boat is loaded. Below the, they are usually lines that are above what's called the design waterline, and uh, reflect how deeply a boat is loaded. Plimsoll, I think, was an English fella. And after too many boats have been loaded too heavily and the bottoms fell out of them or they tipped over or, you know, come to grief and didn't come back, uh, Plimsoll got this thing going with Lloyd's of London. Is, I think that's the way it goes. Yeah, that was his line. Oh, he done it again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, keep it up. Thanks. Oh, well, that's it. Good. Bye. Thanks, Gray. Thank you, Gray. 1-800-643-6273. If you have any lines for the Boat Talk guys, we're welcome. Like Looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, we've got, we've, there's some uh, interesting stuff in the news here, and, uh, you know, we'll talk about that. And like I say, if uh, Captain Sam Cottle and Gloria roll along, then uh, we're going to be awful, awful happy. I was away for a couple months this summer. You guys hardly missed me at all, but uh, you did an excellent uh, program, uh, one that I particularly liked, uh, was with uh, David Jordan. Jordan, of, yes. Jordan of Nauticos uh, Incorporated yep. down in K- uh, Cape Natick, I believe they're out of now. Yep. They are undersea experts, explorers, na- experts in that. Na- he's an expert in undersea navigation. Well, he is uh, a former, former submariner. Yes. Yep, and, and an engineer, too. And, uh, yeah, he is an uh, expert in underwater navigation and uh, now underwater um, remote vehicle operation. Yeah, and you talked to him here on Boat Talk uh, September, maybe? I think it was September. I think it was September. Yeah, September. Um, could still be up on the website if you're interested. And he yes. wrote a book called Never Forgotten. Oh, good. Oh, we boy. Have, we got company in the studio a, here. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, anyway. Uh, David Jordan wrote this uh, book called Never Forgotten. And uh, I read the book um, after I heard the, the uh, you interview him. It was just excellent. Good morning, Sam and Gloria. Please sit down at the end of the counter there. And... Uh, I'm glad you traveled safely and made it. You want to sit down there and put those headphones on, and then you want to pull that microphone up uh, fairly close by. Mm. Would be the whole trick to the thing. So glad to see you this morning. <laughs> glad yeah, we were just uh, kind of uh, vamping and, and uh, filling in time otherwise. And uh, So anyway, this David Jordan book, uh, Never Forgotten, was very interesting. Learned a lot about... For instance, navigating under seas, it's quite different from navigating on the top of the ocean. And uh, anyway, there was a news item here. Navy cites lax behavior in ship sub-collision. And uh, the U.S. uh, uh, Hartford, a nuclear-powered submarine, run into the USS New Orleans, an amphibious uh, Navy assault carrier in the Straits of Hormuz. And why did that happen? Well, uh, what was happening on the boat was people were going on watch barefoot and driving the boat with one hand, and they jacked their iPods into the boat speakers. The volume on this one, maybe? And uh, so anyway, they, they had created a very lax environment on the submarine, and uh, that fellow's career will not be going any further in the Navy. Oh, you can't hear in the headphones there, Sam? Not yet. No? Let's get them set up somehow. How about you, Gloria? No. No? Well. Well, they were working. That's very interesting. A Amy, I uh, believe, will be right in the door in a minute here. So, might be in. and uh, yeah, we'll uh, like say get this thing set, and then we'll pull the trigger. And, and uh, boy, I'm so happy you're here. Um, Joel, can we get can we get a little help in here getting getting yeah, the he, headphones he's, going? He's uh, he is okay. On that thank now. you. Um, super tanker. A, uh, oh. Wow, there we go. Did you hear go. that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that cleared out the cobwebs, didn't it? <laughs> 
Well, the heck with the LNG super tanker that just went down to New Brunswick. Okay, just showed up in St. John for the first time. We don't care about pirates or windmills or nothing this morning. Because, like I say, we have uh, Captain Sam Cottle in here, uh, now of Albion, Maine. And, uh, again, Sam wrote a just absolutely wonderful book called In Danger at Sea. And uh, the subtitle is uh, The Adventures of a New England Fishing Family. And also, I'm so happy that his wife, Gloria, is here, too, this morning. And uh, so anyway, Sam, I, I um, found this book in the library, and it just blew me away. And I kept trying to show it to other people, and I was amazed how many of other people had already read it. Our friend Giffy Full, who uh, usually sits in that chair when he's here, um, Giffy knew it. The uh, fella down to, uh, oh, tenants are Port Clyde we talked to there, the fisheries guy, Glenn Libby. He had read it. I mean, it's just an excellent book. I was talking to a, uh, a friend of mine who I work for, and she, when she goes, she's from Rhode Island, when she goes to the beach, it's Point Judith, okay? <laughs> she's got family in Snug Harbor over on the Blitz Road, that's right. and it, it's all connected. And uh, so anyway, we've been selling a couple books for you there, Sam. And uh, yeah, you grew up in a fishing, you grew up in a fairly remarkable environment, is what I would say. Your, fa your grandfather um, was, uh, I, I think it's, not uh, too stretchy to say, probably the most important person in your life. Absolutely. Old Cap Clark. Mm -hmm. Cap Clark did a, it just blows me away. There is a, it's called the Harbor of Refuge at Point Judith. And you enter it through a breakwater and a breach in the, in the uh, beach there. But that didn't used to be like that. No. And Cap's days did it. No, my grandfather opened that up. And uh, to what it is today, not as fancy as it is, because once the government saw how it looked, then they come in and put a big gear in there and put walls up and dug it out deeper and like that. But Cap's the one that did it. What year are we talking about? Before my time. Yeah, <laughs> turn, turn of the last century. Yeah, sort something of thing. like that. Now, there was a salt pond behind the beach there. Still there. And every once in a while, it would it would breach and let itself in yeah. and out, but it wasn't much of a channel. And you no, it was brackish water, and nothing lived in it. You know. Yeah, and your grandfather, Cap Clark, came along, and and he obviously saw some possibilities there. He sure did. So he got out a hammer and some nails, and he built a retaining wall, mm -hmm. and grabbed a shovel, and started shoveling. Right. And once he did, a lot of the other men came pitched in and came along and helped him. And then they set some dynamite mm. and just blew, blew the thing up. open. Yeah. I don't think you can do that nowadays no, without a, a permit things, or two. A lot of things you could do then you can't do now. <laughs> wow, the times they are changing. Mm. So anyway, and, and it worked. <laughs> it worked. It opened up that salt pond, um, you know, as a viable harbor afterwards. The Corps of Engineers came along a few years later and says, oh, look, <laughs> nice <laughs> see, job. See what we've done. <laughs> yeah, how about a breakwater, you know, and, and that's how it is in its, in its current form today. That's an absolute The, the only breakwater that they put in was a, was a very short one on, on the east side. Uh, the other was, was put in there in the 1700s, 1800s. No kidding. So they didn't do an awful lot. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about uh, your grandfather, Cap Clark. Cap... Uh, you know, obviously he was a fisherman, but uh, he set him up. He set himself up in in the uh, new harbor there. He did everything. <laughs> he named it. Yeah. Um, on named. on one side as you coming in, starboard is which? Yeah, on starboard side is Galilee, port side is Jerusalem. Yeah. And then where he settled down is, is Snug Harbor. And Cap, knowing that this place was going to be opened up, says, "Well, it's going to need a name," so he named them. <laughs> yeah. And I'm telling you. Everybody you know, accepted it, too. Yeah, that just doesn't happen much anymore, is what I'm no, saying. No, no, that's for sure. And, uh, again, the level of permitting would be, uh, you know, it's just impossible. <laughs> so uh, Cap built himself a house, and, and everybody else was um, kind of, uh, you know, they'd stick a piling in the bank and tie a boat to it, <laughs> and, you know, the boat might drift under the bank on the tide. And, did happen. Yeah, lot. you know, people were trying to get by as easy as they could. Cap uh, seemed to me to be a man of some vision and industry. And he was. Again, he grabbed a shovel and started making a rip-rap wall, and, and, and he rigged up a pile driver, started driving pilings, and made himself a dock. Mm. Yeah. And several times, because he lost him in hurricanes. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. One of them went almost all the way to the center of the, of the channel. And, uh, but then that got washed away in the storm. So he, next time, he wasn't quite so bold about it. So your grandfather Cap is uh, setting up there. Tell me, tell me, tell me about the business that he uh, eventually 
well, contrived there because it had more than a couple layers. Oh, yeah. He first started off to be able to handle fish, um, raw fish, as, as caught by the fishermen. And then uh, he, uh, when he got that going and working real well, then there were a lot of people coming down just to look at stuff. And so he opened up a fish market, and then they bought fish. And then it was noontime, and they get hungry, so he opened up a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, because Grandma could cook. Oh, she was fantastic. Yeah. My mother worked with her. We had several aunts that worked with them. And then Cap swung around the other side of the pier, and he opened up a, a wholesale place so that uh, his fish can go not only to the, the wholesale buyers, but, you know, to a small fish, uh, fish market type thing. So he was very industrious. He also, uh, you know, he fished on his own. He had fish traps uh, just offshore of Point Judith. He had nine licensed. No kidding. And uh, one thing I think is really cool, who knows what's going to show up in a fish trap, and, and uh, not everybody gets to see some of this stuff. So he brought it home <laughs> and put it in crates, and yep. people would walk out to the end of the dock and, and check it out. Yeah, he was very clever that way. Yeah, and while they're standing there, look at these cool fish. They might want to go fishing while Cap's running fishing lines, <laughs> yeah. too. I yeah. mean, I just think. And what that's called nowadays in the business world is vertical integration. Is and I'm telling you, it's the way to go if you want to end up owning the world, you know. I didn't know he was involved in something like that. Well, I, don't, I doubt he could have named it that way either, no. but that's exactly what he was doing, wasn't it? Yeah. I know that the, the state government recognized his uh, abilities and they come down and talk to him many, many times on different projects that they were thinking about, and they asked Cap if he thought it would work. And if he said no, they didn't do it. Like I said, obviously a man of some vision and, and energy. Mm. And I also like, uh, you got a story that uh, you catch all kinds of different fish. Some of them are more marketable than others. <laughs> and uh, some of them are edible, whether some people think so or not. So Sea Robins, wasn't it? Yeah. How, how'd he start selling those? Well, in, in time, at times... You can fill a boat and a couple of boats up with sea robins from one trap. And, he, you know, he hated to pitch them overboard. So he says we'd take them in and see if we can sell them. And he did, and he had a fish market going. And so he worked it into the fish market, and then he worked it into the wholesale sales. And then he'd give, if you come down just to visit, he'd give you a half a bushel of fish to take home to eat. And tell you how to cook it. Oh, yeah, yeah. tell the wife how to cook it. And, uh, oh, the people loved that. Well, then the next time they came down for the same fish, they had to pay for it. <laughs> yep. And so he was very clever that way. He was very clever that way. And even called them uh, chicken of the sea. I mean, he should have patented that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could have made some money on that copyright. <laughs> oh, before his time, obviously. So you're a little kid growing up with this uh, fellow who's, you know, the biggest influence in your life. You didn't have a chance, did you, what was going to happen to you in life? Well, not much. No? But I enjoyed every bit of it. Wow. And like I say, out uh, you know, out to sea. I, I was, my dad uh, was in television and radio. I was on, I was on television in diapers, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you were out to sea in diapers too. Mm -hmm. And like I say, uh, you know, kind of never got over it since, have you? Right. Yeah. Um, Captain Clark too. There's something else, uh, you know, I want to uh, just add into the picture here. He was a very generous, uh, very, minded soul, wasn't he? Very. Looked out for more than a couple of different people. He's looked out for hundreds of people. Yeah. And any newlywed coming down, looking for a piece of land to build a little cottage or put up a tent or anything like that. He owned so much land. He bought, when he got in there, he just bought hundreds of acres of land. Had no idea at the time what he was going to do with it, but he knew it would go. There's only just so much land. Yeah. And so when a, a newlyweds would come in, he would take them down and show them a piece of land, and if they liked it, he'd give it to them as a wedding present. Wow. And then he knew they were going to build a house. Yeah. There's material he could sell to them. And then they're going to buy some fish. <laughs> and, and, and all, it just snowballed on everything. Yeah. So he, he knew everything that was going on. Did Beautiful. Well. And he kind of, uh, it was his custom to help some people that were a little little worse off, uh, some of the people <laughs> towards the bottom of the pile, wasn't it? Most of the people that worked with him was that way. Yeah. And they were characters that I loved dearly. Yeah. Oh, they were outstanding people. Oh, we'll get to the characters part, but um, <laughs> he would he would uh, try to advance generosity on people. He would overpay people without telling them he was overpaying them. And, See and, what they were going to do with it. Yeah. He did a lot of that. Yeah. 
what a, what a, what a fella. He'd make out a check for more than it was supposed to be for, you know, and just wouldn't say anything. Yeah. And then that's the person, if they come back with the money or told him about it, then that's the one he'd deal with for the future. That was his way of, of cleaning things up to who's going to be good to work with. And let's face it, if we're all kind of looking out for each other, mm. what can happen after right. that? Right. You know, I just think that's <clears> extraordinary. <throat> now, let's talk about the character part. Uh, you know, some of these uh, people who are, uh, you know, uh, just bouncing around, let's face it, they're not, uh, they're not some of... Uh, uh, <laughs> Say it, I can understand. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to put it politely. Not, not some of the, um, uh, you know, most exemplary citizens, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, for many different reasons. So, uh, but they're coming and going, and they're, and they're the salt of the earth, they're the backbone of, of what's happening. Right. And uh, Cap's uh, back door is always open. Uh, always. Mama's always cooking, and, and there's always something on the table. And anybody that walks in the door is welcome, right? Yeah. George the Guinea was one in particular that my grandmother couldn't stand. <laughs> but she Cap invited him to every meal. <laughs> yeah. And he'd come in and, he'd and, come in and she'd and sit there and she'd feed him. Yeah, she wasn't happy about it, but he'd generally pick up the food and, and leave, you know. But he but he would take the side of the turkey with him when he went. <laughs> <So> <laughs> and what was it about that fellow in particular? Well, he was um he wore a pair of pants that was down below his belly and up over the stomach and Pants were cut off at the knees before they were ever heard of. <laughs> and uh, he just was, a, you know, not the best dressed person in the, in the, in the word, world, but uh, he was a very nice man. He was he was very kind. And he just loved Cap. Just, in fact, all the people down there just thought the world of him because of what he was doing, not just for them, but for everybody. Yeah. So, oh. you, so your grandmother had more of a, a visual problem with him than the actual person. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there was nothing. You know, they didn't swear, they didn't cuss, they weren't acting up or anything. It just, you know, they weren't concerned about their what they were wearing, if they were wearing. <laughs> Some of them might have smelled a little, <laughs> yeah. little low tidy too. Uh, just oh, a yeah. guess, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Sam, you grew up in this uh, family, and uh, you know, like I say, uh, wh what are you headed for in a vocation? You're going to end up to be a fisherman. Absolutely. And uh, there is a scene in in the first part of your book here that that just floors me, and and uh, you know, you're 21 years old. You're married to your high school sweetheart. She's sitting right here. <laughs> and uh, we'll get to you in a minute, Gloria. <laughs> and uh, you, um, you own your own boat. Um, you know, you, your uh, grandfather's in it with you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yes. you know, 21 years old, you got an old uh, converted minesweeper, Roberta D. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to Roberta? She's down in the bottom of the ocean right now. Off of Block Island. Off of Block Island. Yeah. What happened? Well, we, we don't know for sure. It was in a, a bad storm. We were coming in. We loaded. I had about 90,000 pounds of fish on. And uh, she started making water real bad. And this, this type of ship, you had the wheelhouse and the engine room and folks go forward. Then there was fuel tanks between, right across the whole vessel, so you couldn't get by there. You had to go over them and go down the engine room. And so the water was coming out under the fuel tanks. No way to get to them. You couldn't plug it. You couldn't do anything. You didn't even know where it was. Where it was. And uh, so we're making more water than we can get rid of. And so she finally yielded and went down. And old Roberta was a, a converted Navy minesweeper. And, of course, the original engines were out. So to get access to those fuel tanks, you got to cut a few holes in the bulkhead. Yeah. And but when the water then, floods up in there, there you go. Even yeah. that, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything if you could get in there. They, the way they were designed and like that, you just couldn't yeah. get at them to repair them. Isn't it fascinating, or, well, fascinating would be the word, I'd say scary and appalling, how much water can come through a very small hole mm. in a boat that's pressing down on it? Well, we had uh, two, four, six, six, five-inch pumps pumping on it, and we couldn't keep up with it. How many gallons are we talking about there? Hundreds. Five inches. Big. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Wow. And uh, like I said, she went down off of Block Island. You were rescued by the Coast Guard. Um, everybody was all right. You stepped aboard the uh, boat to come and got you without getting your feet wet. I never got my shine, my loafers, and I never yeah. got them wet. <laughs> so so you, you were on the radio to the Coast Guard. Oh, before, yeah. yeah. I talked to them all, all the way till they come around. We had two boats coming. And other fishermen, yeah. And other fishermen was just making Point Judith. And uh, he, he turned, we talked about it and what was going on, and he says, well, I'm coming right out. And so he turned and came off and about the same time. See, the Coast Guard that were on, on the west side of the island, they had to go north and then down south to come anywhere near where we were. Yeah. Even though they're fast, it was quite a haul. 
And so the, we just, when they arrived, I could just look and see the masthead of the fisherman. He was pretty close to us. And I'd much rather have gone with them if I could, because I figured he could do more to keep us afloat. Yeah. So when the Coast Guard came, it was just a matter of getting off. We had to you know, get our lives saved, and that was it. And another plan would have been if you could have got a line from your boat to another boat, even if it sank. You could yeah. pull it underwater until it, it grounded out and then got it back up. Right. But where it sank, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's why I was heading to the island. I, was, I went off course from Point Judith. I went right to Old Harbor because that's what my plans were. If I could get him into shoal water, yeah. then we'd be able to get him in another day. Yeah, didn't work out. No. So you come home in the middle of the night, <laughs> take a shower, crawl into bed. Get up to the microphone here, Gloria. This is the best part of the story. <laughs> you were there, weren't you? Oh, yes. You were asleep, there. though. Yes, I was. So Sam comes in in the middle of the night and, and lays down, and how'd that go, anyway? That's a good story. Well, I, I think I said, what are you doing home now? How, uh, you know, what's going on? How was your trip? And he said, the boat sunk and turned over and went to sleep. And I thought he was being funny, you know, like telling me, don't talk to me in the middle of the night. I'm tired, you know. <laughs> but when I awoke in the morning... I saw the expression on his face, and I knew it, it was real. And then he told me what happened, what he knew that happened. Yeah. And uh, it was a crushing blow for kids to start off with. 21 years old you are. Yes, we are. With a family. Yeah. 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 And obviously, you know, a debt. Yeah. And people that are working on the boat that, you know, you want to be looking out for too. Right. Wow. Right. Um, yeah, so you rolled over and says, that's nice, dear, and went back to sleep yourself. And, and that's been a good running joke for the last few years, hasn't it? Oh, yes. I, I said, don't leave it in the book that way. Yeah. Well, but here's my favorite part of the story. Uh, Sam, uh, we'll, talk, we'll get to, uh, you know, how you ended up writing this book, but you're writing this book. So, um, you know, it begins with the sinking of, of Roberta D. And you write the story, and, and you pass it to your proofreader here. And uh, then what happened? Well... When I come in, she was reading in her living room or somewhere, and I come in, she was crying. And I asked her what was wrong. She said, I, I didn't know you went through any of this, you know. Because I never talked about the boat when I got ashore. And I talked to another fisherman about the boat, but not my wife, or not any other woman. And because um, there wasn't much that could, could help me. And uh, so, you know, I explained then what, what had gone on, but... There was no detail, no details. Mm. He was not a detail man. <laughs> so, well, and again, you're just bound to worry. You ought to be worried anyway. <laughs> the book is called In Danger at Sea, uh, not because it is full of stories <laughs> where everybody's, but you're in danger every moment you're at oh, sea. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Essentially. That, that's kind of a given, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're doing boat talk this morning, and we're talking to Captain Sam Cottle, and uh, the author of In Danger at Sea, and his wife Gloria is here, too. And uh, Sam, I, I was talking to you on the phone last night, and I says, uh, you know, I'm really hoping we get Gloria to sit down in here and, too and, and <laughs> tell her part of the story. I says, because the way I look at it, she was a big part of your business. The biggest part. That's exactly, yeah. Uh, and thank you, Dick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't tell me you hadn't said thank you before this, but it's good to hear, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe you can get a raise. Yeah. <laughs> so you out on the uh, deck running winches and, and uh, sorting oh. fish. What was your part of the business, Gloria? <laughs> no, my part was uh, taking care of the house, the kids, the lawn, the shopping, the and then the bookkeeping at the, <laughs> yeah. the last few years, yes. Because you're running, in, in essence, you're running a very small business with a payroll right. and a large amount of things coming and going. Oh, yes. Boats and uh, very expensive. Fish can be very uh, rewarding, you know, mon monetarily. And, and uh, boy, that's that's quite a lot to keep track of. And it doesn't always add up either, does it? No. <laughs> and in, in those days when we were fishing, or he was fishing, um, it wasn't that affluent at, at that time. You know, you made a living. You had a house. Yeah. And your children had food and clothes. But there wasn't an awful lot of extra. It wasn't until... Later on, that there was more money involved. She had another man in her life, though, that she was very dear to, and that was the, the guy that ran the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so generous to us and so kind. But she's the one that had relations to talking to him about what was going on. And, yeah. and he'd say, well, pay me next trip. You know? Yeah. And you can't hear that today. <laughs> no. 
I've always said that, uh, you know, uh, being a fisherman, catching fish is the easy part. It doesn't really make you a fisherman. you got to sell them. you got to be a businessman. you got to, you know. Right. We talked to Glenn Libby down in Tenants Harbor earlier about permit banking nowadays, and Glenn's on the National Fisheries Marine Council. He's on, he's a politician <laughs> as well as a uh, businessman, fisherman, you know. Fisherman is almost at least what he does nowadays. Yeah. And we'll get to the difference between the new days and the old days. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, fisheries in Point Judith, though. There was a neat uh, thing they did there, speaking of, you know, uh, how the money is going. Uh, one time, they paid everybody for a week or two in $2 bills. $2 bills. That was, yeah. a, that was a genius move to make, I'll tell you. And so were there a couple of $2 bills around the area after that? How did they, they spread out? Well, I don't know how they did it. They, the the co-op had it all organized, and they had a special... Uh, gathering of the money from the state or from the federal government. And then they passed them out to everybody. If you did any kind of work for the fishermen, for them or with them, uh, you got paid in $2 bills. And the whole, we're not in state of Island, small anyhow, but the whole state was covered with $2 bills and all brand new bills so that they, you know, they, they knew where they were coming from. Yeah. And they, cost, they kept it under the air a lot so that people would think about it when they got them. And it was a great success. Is people had no idea the impact that the fishing industry had uh, in that little state. It was very, very good. Yeah. And again, we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, the whole range of the fisheries here. For instance, uh, Clamon took a hard hit this summer, and, and how many millions of dollars was taken out of the main economy? And, and those boys are not buying boats and mm -hmm. boat repair. They're buying boots and, and clam hose and stuff. And I'm telling you, it all adds up. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, uh, <laughs> Very interesting. Anyway, we're doing Boat Talk this morning, and, and Captain Sam Cottle and his wife Gloria are here. You can uh, call any time if you have something interesting to add. Yep, 1-800-643-6273 is the number to call in. We'll stop and listen to the uh, telephone anytime. Yeah, we're very flexible around here, but uh, again, <laughs> uh, I don't think we can hardly uh, fit a... <laughs> so uh, I, I have a question for Sam, yeah. especially after uh, Roberta D. went down. Did you ever uh, have... Second thoughts about fishing? I mean, you ever, when the bird bee went down, you said, well, maybe farming might have some advantages. Never crossed my never, mind. Even after that. That's, never yep. crossed my mind. Yeah, well, that's uh, definitely in your bones. I, I, uh, the first thing I did was go to the bank and say, what can I, how big can I buy? <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, You had no insurance? Well, we had very, very little insurance, but I had done rather well in the short period of time that I was fishing uh -huh. with the boat. And so the bank was holding all of the money. I got a 100% loan, which you never hear of today. And uh, I asked him what, what they could do for me. He says, you just go buy the boat. Go find it. Tell us. We'll, we'll buy it for you. Wow. You know, banks don't do those things today. Well, it must be kind of a good feeling when knowing you, you can go find the kind of boat you want to, to do that. So yeah. what would you get next? What? Well, yeah, tell us what kind <laughs> of boat, because that will fly well around here. What did you, what'd you <laughs> well, really know? It was a boat that was built in Maine, and it was a 65-footer. Eastern rig, wheelhouse aft, and uh, in Stonington. Uh, and, um, built by Harvey Gamage. Built by Harvey Gamage. A Gamage boat, that's all you had to say. Who else? Yeah, you're all set. And uh, uh, the owner of the boat was, he and his men were, she was just sat there in the water glistening. It was so beautiful. And my wife and I had been chasing up and down the coast looking for something. And so I just, we parked up on a knoll just looking down on this and, and finally, I says to Gloria, I says, you stay here. I'm going down on the boat. So I went down, and I got talking with the, the skipper and owner, and um, a little shot fellow, just a delightful man. And he knew, you know, about me. I mean, it goes up and down the coast very fast. And uh, so we chatted and talked like that. And, and I said, you ever think of selling this? He says, well, once in a while, you know. <laughs> said, well, if, if uh, you were to sell it, what would you want for a price? And he named the price. I said, I'll be back here tomorrow with the money. And I ran. I literally ran from that boat to my car, and we get out of there fast. So we had to drive all the way back down to Rhode Island. And when we got in the driveway that night, the phone was ringing, and I said to Gloria, I'll get the phone. I know who it is. <laughs> and it was Helmut. And he says, I didn't mean that, you know. <laughs> I said, Helmut, you promised me that you would do it. He said, yeah. I know, and I shook on it, and it's your boat. I mean, that's that's the kind of man you're dealing with. Yeah. And... Um, he stuck with the price. He could have jacked the price up and I'd have met it. But he didn't. He, he, he stuck with the price, and, and he was just so courteous and all the way down, right until the time we left Maine waters. He was just a, a wonderful, wonderful man. 
Now, you hadn't uh, surveyed that boat, obviously, but it all worked out rather well. It was a well, well-built boat. If, if you fish boats, you, can, you don't need to survey them you too much. You can just kind of, you get the idea. See, just I, by I climb in the forecastle and down yeah. in the fish hob, hole and then in the engine room, and you look around. You know where to look. Yeah. You know, if something's going to be bad, it's going to be there. And she was just like she was built that day. And some stuff that may look uh, rustier or, you know, yeah, uh, weepier to some people is, you know, not trouble. Yeah, the fishermen you know, don't even think of those things. you got to know the difference. But, uh, spotless. But, yeah. It was spotless. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was. I'd never seen a boat that good. Nice. And uh, I could hardly contain myself, to be honest with you. You know, if you'd have doubled the price, I think I'd have gone with it. Yeah. Wow. And uh, we'll get to what you were fishing for in a while, but... Um, you know, how about this for attack here? Um, you were just talking about uh, talking to Glenn Libby down to tenant, uh, Port Clyde about uh, permit banking is the new thing, you know, and oh, uh, individual fish uh, <laughs> IFQs, fish quotas, and, and they got so many schemes nowadays, and the fishermen, I tell you, are not happy with the National Marine Fisheries uh, Service, and and everybody is, is suspicious of everybody else's motives, and... and um, you, through, um, you know, growing up with, with your grandfather, Cap Clark, there, saw the fishery change over time, you know. Uh, for instance, at first you're going out and fishing traps right off of Point Judith. That didn't last forever, did it? No. No. Where'd those fish go? <laughs> Not where Cap was because he couldn't have traps in certain areas now. Yeah. He had no, there was absolutely no uh, controlling his activities for years and years and years. He could put a trap anywhere he wanted to. Within the, there was extension on the outside edges, and anything between this point and this point, you could fish. And uh, but you know, he just picked out the best places and, and set the nets. But then it got tighter and tighter on him, and he got very upset with that. And the dragging was that way. But when I was fishing, you could fish anywhere, and because we were less contained than the trap fishermen, because they are located. Yeah. And but we could fish inshore, offshore, if it wasn't one species or another. And you did both those things, inshore and offshore. offshore. We'll, we'll get to the definition of offshore in a while because it's way offshore. <laughs> and uh, So anyway, uh, you know, going after species, and uh, you know, this species, that species, and you're trying to make a living, and you're, you're out there basically in the public garden harvesting whatever you can get, basically, and, you know, making a good living at it. And, uh, yeah, feeding the kids. But, you know, times is changing, and the fish are... Uh, you know the fish are changing too. I think I think the water is changing uh, nowadays. I don't think that's hard to argue with. So here, I guess, is the question, Sam. Uh, seeing what it's come to nowadays, which let's face it, not everybody's very happy. Would you anything you would have done different down the road? You know, to get here. No, I wouldn't have done anything no. different. Not do it in a minute again. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. The only thing getting me now is old age. Yeah. And once again, we're talking to uh, Captain Sam Cottle, and his wife Gloria is in here this morning, uh, author of In Danger at Sea. Grew up in a uh, fishing family in Port Judith, Rhode Island. And, uh, yeah, we're doing boat talk this morning on the phone. You know, if uh, you got to want to add into this conversation, uh, feel free anytime. Uh, the number, 1-866-625-9378. Um, so you did. You used to go way offshore. Out in the, uh, you know, up off the Flemish Cap, off the Grand Banks, up in the Gulf Stream, I mean, way out there, chasing swordfish, and what else? Well, most of the time we were dragging off south of Block Island, from actually south of Cape Cod, down to, um, the eastern side of New York State. And we'd fish the, the curve, the continental curve there would be down 250, 300 fathom. And uh, we'd get fluke and flounder and... You know, there's a species like that, butterfish, a lot of butterfish. I fish that a lot. And uh, that, you could just set a net anywhere. I mean, there was just no question about that. You just knew, had to know where the ground was because you'd pick up a, a bomb or a plane or something like that once in a while. But, um, you know, other than that, it was, there was no limitation in what you could do. And to the layperson, it all looks like water. <laughs> but that's not the part you're focusing on. You're really focusing on what's under the water, which you can't see, which is an interesting uh, kind of job problem, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, see, it's a historical thing because a number of fishermen before you found those things that you're looking right. for now, and they're all recorded. And we pass that information on very freely to everybody else. Yeah. And um, if, if a fellow sees you towing somewhere, maybe off the, where the, most of the boats are, and he'll give you a call, and he says, you know where you're going? And 
Well, they know what's up ahead of them as well, this, that, or the other thing. And he'll tell you where it was, the depth of water, the barrens, if they, if they had them. Sometimes they didn't. But he'd give you an indication of where things were. Yeah. Sometimes about the time he said that, you'd say, oops, <laughs> you hung up on it, whatever it was. <laughs> and fish are like us. I mean, they live in a different environment, but we don't just live everywhere, and they don't either. They no. have places that they favor. And they sure and do. That's where you need to be as a fisherman. They sure yeah. do. Yeah. And so you got to chase swordfish some. You didn't much like sword oh. fishing, did you? Oh, God. That's <laughs> the most wonderful thing I've ever done in my life, except getting married. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of a hunter-gatherer thing. I mean, uh, they're beautiful fish, obviously. Yeah. They're, they're uh, financially rewarding. Hmm. It's exciting. They it's have been. challenging. From the time I was a little boy, they've always been worth money. Yeah. Uh, in Point Judith, the first fish guaranteed was a dollar a pound. Well, at that time, a dollar a pound for a fish was a fantastic price. Yeah. And um, everybody would go for the first fish just to get that big money. And uh, then uh, as time changed and uh, the money's changed, but still there was a lot of them. I'd go after them for nothing if I could. How much, uh, how much pounds in a big swordfish, Sam? Well, they start off, you got different grades of fish, uh, species of fish coming in as far as uh, size. They come into Block Island, southeast of Block Island, south of Block Island, and they're about 100 to 175 pounds. And then that body of fish would move on, and then you get a group of 200 to 250, 300 maybe. And then each body that comes in, the higher, the, the bigger. And then when they get, uh, for some strange reason, when you get up around six or 700 pounds, they disappear. And the next time you catch them, they're up off you know, Nova Scotia and 800 pounds. Wow. <laughs> and then, so that's when you really That's a big fun. fish. Yeah, it is. And um, I, what was fun, one of the boats I fished on, uh, we come running up on a swordfish up off Nova Scotia, and it was, we could tell it was eight or 900 pound fish in the water. It's on the surface. Yeah. You can see oh, yeah, the, the back fin. fin and the tail yeah. fin. And you got a guy out on the, uh, you got a big bow pulpit hanging out as far as possible. You got a guy out there with a harpoon. Right. Yeah, and it's still not an easy right. proposition, is it? No, and then you got, what well, depends on the size boat, but four or five fellows up in the mass. Yeah. And they're watching, and some uh, you're looking just underwater. They don't look anywhere else. Huh? And then the others look off to see the fins coming up. But um, you see a, a, a big fish, and we saw one, and Jerry said, I was running the, the helm at the time, and Jerry says, don't you turn a spoke. He says, don't you turn a spoke or you're fired. He was coming down, but we had, we were 65 feet, and the boat coming down was over 100 feet, and it was a Novi boat. And those guys were all, you know, hummed up, just like we were. And we're coming down on this one fish. <laughs> and, and, and Jerry just <laughs> Who turned, has the right away in the Jerry market? just turned and looked at me like that, and I said, don't worry, Jerry, you're going to hit the boat. Don't worry, we're going to get him. <laughs> and we come down within throwing distance of the harpoon, and the Canadian boat turned off. Yeah, we got the fish, <laughs> and uh, I, oh, I would have lost my job one or the other. But uh, no, we got the fish. It was fun. Let's talk about national security issues for a few minutes here. It's all all the rage nowadays. You um, just mentioned, uh, you know, every once in a while you drag up part of an airplane or a bomb. You brought a live torpedo home one time, didn't you? Many times. No big deal. Just set her on the deck, drive her in. Keep what fishing. could happen? Keep fishing. Keep fishing. There's <laughs> it. Yeah. I guess that's the thing right well, there, either, too. It was either going to blow up when you did it, or you wouldn't have any trouble with it, one or the other. Yeah. And you had to do something. You couldn't just let lay down in the water. Throw it back overboard? No, it should go off then. Oh, dear. Almost sure, certainly go oh, off. Oh, and that would be very bad for Chain. the boat. Yeah, the ch- oh, yeah, it would blow us <laughs> right, right to pieces. But, uh, Damned if you do, and worse <laughs> if you... Wow. Sometimes uh, some of them are adjusted by temperature or... or I don't know what the, the heat, I guess you would say, M- but most of them by depth. And so if if you're bringing them up and you survive and you decide to let it go, it may not survive. You know, it might be down there 10 fathom away and it blow up and blow you right to the heaven. The name of the book is In Danger at Sea. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But we, never had, we never had anything blow up like that. And those aren't even natural dangers. Uh, yeah. You, you, you know, you learn, you don't. You don't put these things in certain areas of, well, this is dangerous and this is more dangerous. We never thought of it. Yeah. We did. So you're, you're coming back into port with a, with a torpedo on board. I'm assuming you call the Coast Guard first. Absolutely. What do they do? They said, don't say a word. Just come in and get the bomb out of the air. They pick it? Literally, no. No. no they would have nothing to do with it. Really? Yeah. So how do you get it off? We, we call somebody and the guy 
Whoever's drunkest comes down with a yeah, cut. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> a couple of fists and say, here. And, 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 uh, put, Those were the days. And we, you know, one of the fellas had a, we, were, we couldn't get next to the dock, so there was a boat in between us. And so the fellow was on the middle boat, inside boat. He was running the winch. He picked up uh, the bomb from us, torpedo, picked it up. And he, he was in charge of this whole thing. Once it got off my deck, I had nothing. I couldn't do anything. I physically couldn't do anything. And he's slamming into the mast and slamming into the hip side of the boat and dropping it on the deck. And I said, boy, we're never going to survive this. Easy there. And he, but he's half in the bag, you know, and I didn't realize that at the time. Oh, jeez. And then he got it up. The Coast Guard were there and a couple of young kids and handsome little guys. And they backed the truck up and they were terrified. And all they should be. <laughs> and the guy gets it over there and he drops it. Boom. Just like that. And, you know, and it easily could have gone off. Didn't. So I told the kids in the truck, I said, get that out of here. So they, they took off real quick. They had no idea what it would do. They'd seen and heard about torpedoes, but they had no idea what that thing yeah. could do. Yeah. Well, they didn't have a lot of dummies for, for practice. Yeah, back you then can tell. Some, but yeah, you this, can't tell. The code. We have a code. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Huh. And you call in and you say what the code is, and they can tell you. Oh, no, they'll tell you if it's live or not. Huh? Yeah. Huh. Don't raise your voice. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wow. And that's a lot of it was much like that. Fishing uh, way, way offshore there, you would run into not just Canadian boats, uh, Norwegians, Spanish people, British, I'm thinking all kinds of different people, and Russians, too. First ones were Russians. And this was back in the in the days where the Russians were the boogeymen. There, it was the Cold War era. Yep. And what, what were they doing out there? Fishing, supposedly. Supposedly. And the first time we ran into one, it was a beautiful summer day. And... Uh, we were, oh, about 100 fathom, 150 fathom at that time. A fathom is six feet deep yeah. for, yeah. And uh, doesn't know. So we, we had just hauled back, and we had a good tow. And I see these fellows trying to get a net set. And there was a, an, apparently a trained man that was the chief. And he's running back and forth with all these kids, you know, do this, do this, you know, couldn't make out what they were saying. It would be in Russian anyhow. But they didn't know. Nobody but that one man knew what they were doing with a net. And he was a long time, and I said to the, I said, let's watch this and see just how long it goes on, you know, because it was fun. And it's not a simple thing just to throw. You can't just throw it overboard. No. It's very complicated. Yeah. you got to get it right or you made a terrible, terrible yeah. mess. Yeah. We do have a phone call, so let, let's uh, make a quick break and go to that. Good morning and welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Colleen Stuper. I'm Sam's daughter. <laughs> ah, okay. Hi. I've been trying to get in, but the number that you gave over the radio seems to be the wrong one. So one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We have that now. Yeah. Anyway, I have a question. Uh, if Dad wants to talk about <laughs> the airplane he pulled up, that was fascinating. Okay, Colleen. Thank you very much. If I'd known if I'd known you were going to uh, add such good questions, I would have invited you. <laughs> So, thank you, Colleen. As soon as we get done with the Russians, we'll switch right over to the, <laughs> to the plane. We need another hour here. Uh, that's what I was thinking, too. So, anyway, this Russian boat didn't look like yours, and it had a lot of antennas on it, oh, too. It just, I just knew what it was. It was a spy plane, a spy ship. Yeah, I've and seen those, they too. Had, they had more rigging on that, just for that, radio calls and whatever they did. And they weren't fishing. They were putting on a show for us, but they, they weren't fishing at all. And they're looking for U.S. submarines is what yeah. they're looking for. See, we're right in the line when a submarine come out of New England, uh, New, uh, New London. Yeah. Uh, they would come right out and go off where we were fishing. And when they get to the deep water, then they'd go, and nobody knew where they were going then. They'd go underwater and then go whatever direction they wanted to. Yeah. They'd stay up so the Russians could see them. You know, even though they're underwater, they'd know where they were. But once they got to the edge of the continental shelf, they just dropped down and go one way or the other. And now we no one knew what they were doing. Your brother was fishing his own boat. He was out <laughs> there. He had, he had a little... Uh, brother John. He went to war with the Russians. <laughs> I mean... Well, he was good about it. Johnny had a bad temper, but he did very well this day. <laughs> and the Russians kept crowding him, crowding him. And again, he's towing a net. Yeah, yeah, like all of us were. Yeah, and, and you, you cannot, you can't do anything. You're towing, no. the, you're going to make a terrible mess if, mm. if you slow down or you can't yep. turn and, mm. uh, you know, uh, more than a little bit. And if anybody else comes and fouls, then you guys, terrible. <laughs> so anyway, there's Russian but, boats crowding down on your brother John. So Johnny explained, tried to do it delicately on the telephone. And it was difficult for him because his language is different than mine. And, uh, <laughs> so he talked to the Russians in one language, and uh, they wouldn't pay any attention to him. So he come out on the—and they were coming up running fast because they towed much faster than us. So they were overtaking him. 
So Johnny goes up in, a, in, the, in the center of the vessel is the hatch that comes up, up just about the height of this table. And he jumps up on top of the hatch and he has a pistol in his hand like this and he's got the phone and he's talking to him. He says, please turn. And they didn't make any changes and he fired 11 shots into the wheelhouse. It's a steel wheelhouse. And you got and you are the wheel guy at the wheel and he's 11 bullets coming in and bouncing all over that thing, you know. And can you just imagine the feeling of that poor kid at the wheel? <laughs> I'm calling the nearest Russian submarine and getting them to sink, sink this fisherman here, you know. That's that's a shooting it war. It wasn't quite that bad. Yet. Yeah, and he is, you know, he's defending his turf, basically. Sure. Yeah, and he's got to. Well, he, he would lose his net and everything if he did what the yeah. Russians want him to do. They, he'd just twist it right up and it'd be all shot. Thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, not to mention the boys need to be paid and, you know, all that. Besides, Johnny ain't going to let anybody do that to him. Yeah. <laughs> now, Colleen uh, tells us uh, about the plane here. What happened with the plane? I'm not sure what plane she was talking about, <laughs> but we... Uh, we, we've dragged up several planes, and I'm not really not sure which one she was talking yeah, about. Yeah, and would these be Navy uh, World War II kind of planes or what? Oh, yeah, they were all the World War II, most of them. The ones with the men in it. Oh, oh, yeah. And, uh, Ooh, sad story. That was, a, that was an American plane. And uh, uh, I'm trying to think of it. It's got uh, three men and a lot in, in the wheelhouse of the cabin or whatever they call it, and one man down below in it with a machine gun. Uh, maybe a torpedo bomb. Yeah, a torpedo bomb. Yeah. That's just what it was. Yeah. And uh, so when we we dragged it up and we could see that they were all guys are there except they're just eaten away by the salt water and whatever fish. And uh, if you pick it up, you know, you got real problems because you don't know what the, the weapons are. You don't know whether they're going to have been keyed up to explode at a certain type, uh. you know, height or depth or whatever. And so you don't know what to do. And... The the kids have already been, you know, they've been dead a long time, and the parents have accepted that they're dead. And I couldn't see any sense in calling them and telling them, well, you know, we got your dead son here. Yeah. So I just decided that I was going to let the, the plane go. And then, then you had to question, are the bombs going to go off going down? Oh, jeez. <laughs> and your boat doesn't go that fast. Your boat doesn't go that fast. You can't just leave. So it was a, it, it, a couple of strange choices I had to make. But I, I was more concerned about stirring up the families again. You know, yeah. they've got to go through this whole thing, 10 years or more had gone by. Yeah. And, you know, the, the pain is gone. And I wasn't about to bring that up again. So yeah. I decided to just let the plane go. We mm. dropped them. Wow. Um, like I say, Sam has written this wonderful book called In Danger at Sea, and it's got some great stories in it. I love the chapter about seasickness, for instance, but um, this summer I, I, uh, you know, I do a lot of boat deliveries. I took it with me repeatedly, and, and uh, whatever chance I got, I read people the fog story. <laughs> and because we got to go somewhere else real quick, I'll just synopsize. you got your Newfoundlanders out on uh, the sword fishing or something. They're up in the cross trees, and how foggy is it? Well, you know. Uh, there's a guy out in the dory, and, and uh, he ends up rowing by the guy on the cross trees up the mast, and they look at each other and realize they shouldn't be looking at each other, so he throws them the painter, the rope to the bow of the boat, ties it off, and then a swordfish swims by through the fog. <laughs> That's how thick it was, and uh, sticks himself in the mast, and when the fog clears, there's the boat hanging from the mast, the two guys up there, and the swordfish, and I think that's a true story, you know. Oh, it is. Yeah, and I'm telling you what... Uh, we had a thick fog off of Halifax this summer that uh, we had a thousand foot container ship an eighth of a mile off the starboard bow. Never saw it till it was absolutely right next to us. Turned around to look at it, and we come out of the fog into just a pure, beautiful sunny day, come right mm -hmm. out of the wall. Turned around to look at the ship, and mind you, it was it was you know an eighth of a mile uh, uh, right next to us off the you know starboard aft corner there, and gone. <laughs> no. You know, and the blip on the radar was, uh, wow. <laughs> so anyway, Sam, you had this um, finished up with a boat called uh, Dorothy Betty. And uh, um, I've never heard the term barity before. B-A-R-R-A-T-Y. Can you define it? I don't know if I can define it legally. Yeah, well, <laughs> just gen generally, what are we talking about? Well, I, I, I'm not sure the point that you were raising, where, what, where it fits into the story. Tell me better. Do you know? Well, um, you know, uh, your career ended. Um, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah sort of. Yeah. You know, it wasn't all, it wasn't all uh, how you wanted things to go at that no. time. And, and somebody was upset with something. And Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that was, that was just a matter of, um, of, of choice. Either just keep, we had three attempts. I think it was three attempts in the boat. 
maybe four, but three attempts anyhow at trying to sink it with people on it. You know, it's one thing to sink a boat, but another one with people on it. And so what sort of things? We've uh, loosened the bolts on a seacock. Seacock, yeah. We've caught a hose. We've, you know. Yeah. Well, and basically all of those things. Yeah. And, and uh, but whoever did it knew what they were doing, so they were fishermen, or at least seamen. And uh, so, and, and it was a personal vendetta against me, and uh, I just didn't want any more of it. The people could get killed very easily. So I just come ashore. Rhode Island's a small state. Point Judith, a uh, little harbor there is a small little area. I mean, you know all the fishermen uh, up and down uh, the coast just from being offshore with them. I bet you did. Yeah, I knew did. It's sort of like what down, uh, went down on Matinicus this summer with the uh, the shooting on the dock there. And and uh, somebody said to me, well, can you believe that that guy shot when the when the Marine police was right there on the dock? And I says, on Matinicus, why shoot somebody in secret? I mean, you know, <laughs> everybody's going to know. And uh, so you know exactly who, who did it. And yeah. like I say, uh, you know. It's nothing you could do. Nothing under, you you got to see the man with his hand on a weapon or, yeah. or the device or whatever he's doing. And otherwise, you're just going to endanger, you know, your right. crew. And, right. and not to mention uh, Gloria sitting here, uh, right. you know. Um, wow. We got a, another phone call. Yeah, the phone just rang again. Coming up close to the end of the hour, but time Boy, for we this are. one. Yes. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Yo. Hi, Yo. Captain Yo Sarian from down in West Tremont, owner of the uh, beautiful pinky schooner Annie McGee. I always have to throw that in, Yo. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> put her inside a couple of days ago. Yeah. What are you thinking this morning? Well, I wanted to clarify the point you just brought up. It sounds as if you're describing an incident of sabotage. That's what it was. Because baritry is when the person who is in charge of the vessel deliberately causes her loss for his own profit. Huh. Ah. Not exactly sabotage, but it's a command situation, baritry. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. The wow. Wake of the Red Witch is an interesting story of Baratree, and the movie with uh, John Wayne is a very interesting show. Do you ever see the uh, John Wayne movie where he plays the Nazi captain in World War II? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, that with is the blonde, good. With uh, the blonde German woman who wants him, you know. Uh, yeah, so John Wayne did a couple of good sea stories. <laughs> I wouldn't say the fight in Seabees was one of them, but anyway. Yeah, thank well, you anyway, for that. I just you. wanted to clarify that point. Thank you very much, Yo. Thanks so much for running the show. Yeah, that's why we uh, got a community here with Community Radio. And again, we got a, uh, a great audience for Boat Talk and uh, mm -hmm. people that know what we're talking about and not. And we try to entertain the people uh, and inform a little bit anyway. We're coming up. Uh, we're five minutes towards the end of Boat Talk here. I got to mention as well, WERU is going to go off the air for probably the next three hours. A uh, little maintenance up on the uh, mountain, I believe. Uh, we hope to be back on the air. Um, by 2 o'clock or so, and, uh, you know, uh, once again, we're talking to Captain Sam Cottle this morning, author of In Danger at Sea, and, and obviously, Sam, uh, you know, the 55 minutes we've been talking to you here is not sufficient at all. Um, you know, we'll have you back any time, but... Um, well, I you think know, we how, should, should have Sam tell uh, where people might be able to get a copy of this book, too, if yeah. anybody's interested in doing that. I don't know. Any, any book? I, I, I believe that any of you... Uh, bookstores can book order stores. it for you. Mm -hmm. Like uh, we know it's in um, paperback, Mr. Paperback. We know it's in Borders, yeah. and uh, some of the smaller bookstores will order it for you. Excellent. So, I mean, you didn't study English in college and and uh, grew up to be a writer. I mean, you just wrote a book. Uh, how hard was that? That was pretty hard at times. <laughs> yeah, because I had to watch my language, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you went to school at night. Yes, that's that? right too. I did. And had a little group of uh, people that were writing, and you you go up to Joe Mary uh, Pond and tell stories to yeah. some oh, of yeah. your buddies, a of, and a lot of stories. You got to bounce things off of people. So you know, um, Sam, uh, can I make a million dollars writing a book? How's this work? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not in your lifetime, but yeah. you can make it. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Um, it's a funny business, the book business, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't go into it again. Yeah, and it's changing, too, just like the fisheries. I'm sure. Yeah, and hear that little uh, whistling music in the background. That's uh, the Boat Talk theme music. Eyes the Buy. We always thank Schooner Fair for providing that. And uh, like I said, we're talking to Captain Sam Cottle this morning, and just not enough. 
Um, the name of the book is In Danger at Sea Yeah, by Sam Cottle. And we can't thank Sam and Gory enough for coming down this morning. Uh, I'd love to have you back any anytime. You have a standing invitation. Good company. <laughs> and uh, bring Colleen next time, too. Um, once again, WERU will be leaving the air for the next couple of hours. You want to stay tuned mid-afternoon. Hopefully we'll be back to the music. Uh, you know, they tell me by 2 o'clock. And uh, we just thank you for listening. Boat Talk comes along the second Tuesday every month. It is podcast up on the web at weru.org, and we got a website, boattalk.org. It's there, too, with some other stuff. Thanks for listening. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. At WERU, we truly appreciate the support of our listeners.